0: The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. On today's Deep Dive episode, we're talking to Michael Henriksen, the CEO of WavePiston. WavePiston is a Danish company that's focusing on how we can turn wave energy into electrical potential and also desalinated seawater. We talk about the potential of wave energy for the future of energy production. We talk about the environmental impacts. We talk about the difficulties of even working in the ocean, especially in an area where you're trying to target being in giant, huge waves. Now, one note before we get started, unfortunately, the audio for this interview sounded differently when we were recording it than when it actually came out in the recording. So Michael might be a bit hard to understand, but all of the information he has is super, super interesting. It's well worth a listen. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get this thing started. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn a little bit more about creating electricity from waves. Air. 瓦瑟， bunny， G， Nippy， Omi， Tubi， Agua， Low， Insu， Nisu， Tu Blue， Roda， Mary，
1: H， Chai， Shui， Mad， Why， Nero， Acu
0: Water, we doing. And how can we do better? Your one-stop shop for everything water-related. From discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it. For all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project. And I just want to ask you something. What are we doing how can we do better? Hi, and welcome back to another deep dive episode of the What Are We Doing podcast, where we're talking to Michael Henriksen from Wave Piston i'm so excited to introduce michael and get started learning about wave energy so how about you introduce yourself and let our listeners know a little bit about yourself yeah
1: thanks david uh, yes well i'm michael hendrickson i'm the ceo of wave piston am uh, also one of the founders of WavePiston, one of the only non-technical, non-engineers in the company, actually, more business commercial background. I've been involved in wave energy since end of 2013 and CEO of WavePiston since 2014. And uh, in WavePiston, yeah, as you say, we are working with uh, the energy of the waves to convert them to something usable, which is we can convert them both via a turbine generator to electricity and we can also use the energy in the waves for desalination via reverse osmosis plants. So this is sort of our, the basics of our system.
0: Very cool. It's a marrying, not only generating electricity, but also desalination. That's a, such a unique concept of having both be part of the design rather than one specifically fueling the other. Where did this idea come from?
1: Yes, it's actually uh, my clever colleagues that came with the idea. So uh, the two other founders were also the inventors. That's Martin and Christian. They are the engineers here. One of Some of the engineers now in the company. They had a common background working with different types of projects, development projects, etc. And Christian has a background uh, before that. He was in in the offshore industry. And he was sort of looking at this, the waves, and he said, okay, it's quite strange why it hasn't been possible to harvest the energy from the waves in an efficient way to make something sort of actually that's viable and can be competitive. And the reason is, of course, it, it is quite difficult. So we have to be frank, it is difficult to work. In the sea, in the offshore, not in the normal conditions, but when you know the storms come and the very large waves are there, so you need to have some good storm protection systems as well. But all in it, all, it's a very harsh environment. They, were, they, they started uh, analyzing this, seeing okay, what type of uh, concepts were there in the market, and uh, what were the, the positive things and negative things about those. And then soon found out that many of these uh, concepts have had evolved or started from someone having an idea how to convert the energy in the waves, which is actually not so how to do like you know sitting with a rubber dog in your bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is this is not actually the main issue. or problem is not how to convert, but it's actually to understand the total cost structure of the whole system. It's not only the ones you know the things that move converted but the whole system all the forces and all the things you have to handle both in normal conditions and these extreme conditions so they were looking at that and then they came up with this concept we have right now Try to do it sh- <laughs> briefly to explain how it looks like because that that's that's also the reason i came into this i think it's it's, it's really a, a very interesting it's innovative and it's a genius uh, um, concept you could say because Instead of sort of fighting the forces of the ocean, they're sort of playing with the forces. Yeah. So what we have is our system is like, you have a plate, like a plate in the water, standing virtually in the plate in the water, when the wave passes by, the plate goes back and forth, this back and forth movement. This back back and forth movement you can use, sort of you can convert to something interesting. But what happens, and others have done that, that's nothing, either flipping up and down, whatever. But what happens if you have many of these, plates we call them energy collectors actually many of these plates besides each other and the wave passes by them. each work you know individually moving back and forth but if you put them on the same structure then something interesting happens because then you know some of them moving in one direction some only in the other directions so it's a bit like you know uh, you have people pulling in the you know to, uh, to, what do you call it in english you know pulling a yeah, rope tug of war. yeah that's yeah. right so uh, you blindfold people then you can actually stand behind those people and just hold the rope with two fingers it's the same here some is moving one direction some in the other so the the forces that impact the whole structure these forces are cancelled out but uh, actually it's like it goes down to less than a tenth compared to having each one of these conversors or energy collectors that we call to be more individually as a separate um, structure so this is sort of the, the, the foundation for this you can say innovation, this invention back then, uh, where they start saying, okay, that was could be something interesting. They thought that was already back in 2008, 2009. They got a pattern on that and starting, you know, going into detail, okay, how can we convert or how much energy we'll get out of this? What are the issues, et cetera, et cetera. And then it started back then. And then I came into this together with them uh, end of 2013. But my background, which is the non-technical side, sort of to build up all the other things, you know, which is needed. And that's that's also it's quite interesting when you talk about startups and intra- entrepreneurship and stuff like that. That is, it's not only the technical, you know, things in the product or the system. It is everything around it that has to go up in a, in a total uh, a nice way. You need to proper funding and the right competences, the right partners, the right, you know, right. all these things to move your product ahead to developing especially an offshore product or system like this it, it, it is a long process yeah so uh, that was the short <laughs> the short explanation <laughs> uh, of, of, of some of this for yeah uh, but so so this is actually what's interesting so the foundation has this force cancellation we call it yeah. Because then suddenly you can you can reduce the structural thing, the mooring, etc., and then focus only on, you know, this energy conversion, energy collectors. That's
0: the simple version, you can say. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that really drew me to this because I, I've typically seen wave energy being captured more so in in underwater turbines or propellers or there are some that do collect the force of a wave by uh, moving a plate or something but the overall design of wave piston abilities to capture the force of a wave that move independently along the same structure it it honestly looks just very cool visually it's a, a such a different design than i've typically seen so i was wondering if you could touch on maybe how i understand maybe it's the movement that's how the electricity is generated but uh, where does the desalinated water come yeah. into the effect yeah
1: so so what we do here is we try also to keep things as simple as possible it's always complex when you're in the offshore side but, but as simple as possible so what we do we work with a, a, a hydraulic system so what these plates they do you take one plate Uh, We call them, as I said, an energy collector, but that drives a pump, you know. So the back and forth movement, it sucks in seawater and then it pushes, you know, the seawater into a pressure pipe and we increase the pressure to 60 bar. So what we work when we take the energy from the waves and then we pressurize seawater and that pressurized seawater is then transported via a pressure pipe to a conversion station, yeah. And And the interesting part here is that for a pressurized water, you can use at least for two things. One is you can, we can drive a turbine, and what we use right. is a Pelton turbine. So that spins around, drives a generator, and we can produce electricity to the grid. The other interesting part with pressurized seawater, what we'll be in and pressurize, it is pressurized seawater is what is needed for reverse osmosis. And reverse osmosis, it's uh, the most efficient uh, way of desalinating seawater that, that exists at the moment. Then actually you suck in seawater, you increase the pressure to about 60, 65, 70 bars, depending on the system. And then you pressure that pressure as well. you go through the membranes in, in this reverse osmosis plant and you can then get the salt out and get, in the end, potable water. But our system already takes this pressurized water in, so we can actually use this high pressure water into reverse osmosis plants. Small trick is not that easy as I'm saying because you need we need to pre-filter the water before it goes into reverse osmosis plant, and to not to destroy membranes and not to that it, it clocks up. We need to clean the whole time. So that's all some of the challenges here because you need to do high filter, high pressure filtration. Yeah. To put a bit notch on this one, actually, the, which is, if, if I'm allowed to do that, that's a third one related to reverse osmosis because we're talking with some of the existing reverse osmosis plants. They are very interested in this because they can see, of course, instead of they do this and then they suck in some seawater, they have to take electricity from the grid, which is produced somewhere else. So there's a lot of losses on the way. Then we can actually connect directly to this reverse osmosis plant. Either by doing this process I just told about, or another one, because they already have this existing reverse osmosis plant with all the things that are needed, we can use our pressurized water to pressurize their water. Why is that interesting? That's because you get a much higher efficiency. You take our pressurized water, convert it in, you know, via turbine to electricity, the electricity goes to the grid, to the distribution system, the transmission system, et cetera, and comes back. We can use it directly in and get a very higher efficiency. Much higher efficiency on this energy conversion side. So, 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 so in the end, suddenly we have three <laughs> ways of using this. Yeah. So it's it's quite interesting, and uh, this is also what's very thrilling about this. There's a lot of attention. People are very interested in this, and of course, what we need to show now that is this also works in the full scale, and uh, we are not killed by the big waves. Uh, we don't have a you know uh, operational maintenance that are too high etc cetera, etc cetera. that's all the things we're working on at the moment that is getting our first full-scale system out in the atlantic ocean at, at, at grand canal
0: that's so interesting i mean it does make sense that there would be that thirty yeah. use out there can you speak a bit about where the wave piston systems are deployed right now
1: yeah, uh, that's quite easy because there's none right now. You know, we had we had one <laughs> uh, we had one we called uh, because we're preparing our full scale installation right now. as we, right. we have a Spanish uh, daughter company in Gran Canaria. One of our guys down there is is uh, coordinating the work we're doing at the moment. We had an, a trial installation a pre-installation. We call it to to prepare for all this. That was back from December twenty to march 21 to test different things and mooring the installations and or to the local uh, supply network etc and uh, based on that knowledge we've made some upgrades got some uh, you know agreements with the suppliers etc and now we are uh, preparing the whole infrastructure about this thing you know we need to have this pressure pipe the pipe to space and it's a test area, so if there's a platform we take the pipe to, we need to have the power generation unit with the turbine generator connected, we need to have the designation unit connected, etc. All these construction works are go- ongoing right now. After that, we'll have to install our structure, so which is the mooring in each end, only two anchor points, and then we call it the string lying there, and then we can put on the energy collectors, or take off whatever when we test different things. And those that will happen, the first one around April, May. And then we expect in September to turn on uh, to commission it so we can start producing electricity and, and also do desalination with these full scale. 2022 is going to be very interesting here for us.
0: Big year, big year for Wave Piston. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll have an update by the time this podcast comes out. That'll Be, nice. be able to reach out. Yeah. So I guess when you have a full system deployed at full scale, uh, how much electricity or how much desalinated water are you looking at being able to produce just on an average day or what or What would be the peak values that you would expect to be able to get to?
1: So uh, I think we should talk like references because it all depends on which location we are in. Some you know, locations right. have a poor wave climate or is still good enough to be there. Others have very good uh, wave climates. A string we call them, used now with just as like a reference system where we have 32 energy collectors on. There we expect to have at the Grand Canaria, where we are right now, it's 650,000 kilowatt hour per year for one. Then you can of course add as many strings as you want. In other locations like in the French Caribbean, we've been looking at Martinique, we get nine yeah, up to 950 kilowatt-hour per, per string, the same. Thing is, it's because the wave climate is a bit more stable and a bit more energetic. And then, if you go other places with much more energy, you can get a bit more. But the formula is that you don't want, you don't care about those very, very large waves. For the storms, you only want to look at the percent uh, 99% of the time. It's the normal conditions. That's where you need to optimize your system for. So, so anything you can say from 500 megawatt to 1,000 megawatt uh, for the, the the current system, so you can say. And this this is actually something that you know over time we need to work with to increase the efficiency, to so get more energy out of this, and also of course decrease the cost to get
0: a better cost per, per per kilowatt hour. How far are these systems deployed right now? And I guess are there areas where the wave energy is just too high that you wouldn't consider putting these out?
1: Yeah, yeah, not too high actually, because no matter where we are, we need some, some good, robust and also a good system that can survive these extreme conditions. And they are more or less all the places where you have waves. You also get some nasty, large waves once in a while. Yeah. So we need to be able to handle all these. It's just that we start with some areas right now, uh, for instance, where we are testing at the moment, which is quite nice. It's not too extreme. And it's, uh, it's pretty much stable, the, the waves coming in. So then, then we get a relatively good efficiency and we are able to see what is happening, etc. In, in practice, we need to be able to handle all the places where you have a good wave climate. And when you have a good wave climate, you also get some last extremes like 10, 15 meter waves, etc. And even more sometimes
0: yeah i i'm just imagining you can't turn off the wave so i'm sure it makes it quite interesting actually installing these projects because it you don't have there's no lull within the within the ocean
1: yeah no and you're right it it is uh it's 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 actually it's it's a terrible place to be but that's also nice thing. it's a lot of energy out there there's a lot of energy out there so uh the first, you know, this system we had out there, the, section of the picture here behind me, some of people can see that. It's uh, from the North Sea, and we did a lot of these things ourselves together with some, of course, good uh, suppliers and partners. But I was also out myself, you know, putting goggles on and uh, trying to do different stuff. So you, you really get to learn how difficult it, difficult it is to work on the ocean. Also that the system is not available the whole rest time. You can't just go out there and check things because then you have like what, several weeks of, of bad weather. You just have to say, okay, it's there. It was fine. Right? And of course we have some sensors. You, you can see what is happening, but you, you don't really see it. Yeah. So it is quite difficult. And that's also the reason you can say, because a lot of people also are asking, why haven't wave energy been a success yet? Why haven't we any competitive? Like, why don't, like when wind and solar? And the, the the simple answer is, is because it's more difficult in the old days. You know, Denmark is wind energy; it's a wind country. Yeah. Then there's the local blacksmith. He can just build his own little wind turbine and put it next to his farm or whatever, and then started working on this, going back and forth, etc. We need to put something in the sea. Of course, we have tests in small tanks and in small waves, etc. But we need to get out in the big waves. Yeah. And that makes it more difficult. So so what we've done in the world now, we have taken the more low-hanging fruits of the renewable energy. We're still going to use that much more wind, much more solar is needed in my mind. And then we just need to add now. We need to add the wave energy because it's a very large potential. And we are getting there. It's not only us, but there are several uh, interesting companies in the world now looking into this or has been looking for a long time, but there are also some new ones coming up. So this, this renewable energy source, we also need that to complement wind and solar because the wave energy is all the places actually time-wise shift compared to wind. And of course, solar energy is in this daytime, is not in the nighttime. So by having several renewable energy sources makes it much more interesting and it's better to stabilize the grid and sort of having a total system view on getting renewables or 100% renewables. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We can't just look at renewables as only wind and solar. Oh. There's so many other potential energies out there. And wave energy is, is definitely a very obvious one that some people may just look at and say, yeah, it's crazy to be out there in, in these big waves and trying to capture that energy. But that's the energy that will be coming back time and time again. Mm-hmm. and It's reliable and, and we can count on. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess. Do you have a a rough sense on the amount of energy or potential energy that could be produced through uh, from from capturing wave energy?
1: Yeah, yeah. There are several uh, articles, papers. Uh, scientists have been looking at all these things. So, so I think the the what I've seen is like a theoretical potential of two thousand gigawatts, which is three times more what well, we have a wind today in the world. Wow. But that like theoretical sort of capacity potential, you can say. Yeah. It is large density of the energy in the waves. are, it's, it's more, much more dense, of course, compared to wind like this. So you, you actually have more energy in a, in a small area. If you are able to, to, to harvest that, of course. So, so the potential is large. It will be as large as wind can be, but solar power and wind power, of course, have a good start <laughs> for, for like the last two, 20, 30 years. We need to catch up yeah. to that. And then, of course, it's difficult to compare. That's also why I'm also asked the whole time. So okay, uh, what is your price? Uh, is it cheaper than winds? Okay, come on. We just, you know, we have six, how much is it now? Five, 600 gigawatt wind. We've had some time on onshore wind. We've had more than 20 years now on offshore wind. You can see that we've been able to reduce the cost that much because of coming to scale, but also because of innovations of making them more, and more efficient and size, size, size. Yeah. We have to go through those development cycles. Well, I don't think it's going to take as long as, as that because we are generally in the in the world we have a faster development track of these things. But also that we can have many systems out there to to sort of optimize our our solution. Yeah, so we start at another level, but we still believe that this is sort of a level that can be competitive, especially if we look at what we are focusing on, so we say in the beginning, let's look at islands, isolated coastal communities, hotels resorts and stuff like that. These are not triple-digit megawatt systems. They're like two, five, 10, 10 megawatt systems. They have a very high price in diesel and they have diesel-generated power. Many of them fossil want to replace it so we can go in and you know, replace everything, but at least... Go in and be a big part of the solution for of throwing these these generators out, right? and that 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 price on levelized cost, cost of energy that is like thirty to forty euro cents, for forty US cents per kilowatt hour, and that price we can compete with. But of course, we need to start somewhere
0: to get into the market, and then we can sort of get the the economies of scale over time also. Just providing that ability to have a renewable energy generation system or a water generation system in those remote islands and that's a perfect example for where a system like this could be very useful right now but i mean ev- everywhere <laughs> i mean i, I want one my one in my backyard too if i, had a, if I was right on the ocean <laughs> yeah, here too. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah also because these these remote islands cetera, because many of them because we're talking with some of these people that are living in these places and they want to have a system like ours or similar yeah they don't have enough land space, you know. It's difficult, you know, in the Mauritius or Maldives to put up large wind turbines, you know. It doesn't really make sense of that, and it's also very distributed. So so they are looking at other solutions. And this is about having a non-intrusive system because you, you can't actually see it from, from shore uh, because it's under the water, and you don't take up land space. So that is very interesting for them, of course. And that's nice. It's part of the solution that we're coming out with these, uh, these systems, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm curious. Is it simply using buoys, or or how do you plan to protect the wave piston system from marine traffic or other boats? And are you really competing with areas where there would be a lot of traffic?
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, that is a general concern, or it's a, it's a, it's a challenge all over the world because there's increased traffic, there's increased pressure on ocean space in general. Yeah. Aqu- aquaculture. You have fishery. You have tourism. You have uh, yeah normal marine traffic so that is it is an issue and it has to be planned very carefully in all the different locations where we also want to be because we need to have an exclusive zone where this system will be the nice thing is that there will also be like a, a sanctuary for fish and both uh, a yeah, flora and fauna you can say you know because you're, you're not allowed to go fish there you're not allowed to have traffic there so they are just you know thriving there and we become just like an artificial reef. So this is, uh, of course, a concern. Uh, we made some analysis, again, at Martinique, to see where, where could we be our system compared to the other activities that were ongoing, fishery, etc. And you all, always, you know, question, okay, especially from the fishery, okay, but then we can't fish there, no, but we build up another economy because we need to give operational maintenance of this that might, you know, help a bit, and then we have to fish Some of the other locations. That that is that is sort of the the trade off you can say with these things. But it's also with offshore wind, it's the same. You're not allowed to 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 navigate in those areas. And then of course combining offshore wind and wave energy, you know that is of course also interesting because you already have some areas. And if you have good waves there, for instance in the North Sea, we should also have wave energy because then we increase the capacity of the whole area. You know, and then we use the uh, whole area better. Of course, respect and you need to do operation and maintenance of the different uh, devices and of the of the wind turbines, etc and that is of course like something right now in uh, the Danish government has just recently or last year was agreed on on uh investing in a, in a an energy island Energy island is one of the mega trends at the moment, yeah so they want to build an energy island in the middle of the North Sea to start with three gigawatt of wind and up ten gigawatt of wind afterwards, and then export that to different countries around the North Sea. But of course, now we have this nice area. We should also put wave energy so we get more out of this area together
0: with them. Just put it all in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious uh, what are the potential environmental impacts of a, a wave piston system in, in full operation?
1: Yeah. Uh, again, short answer: we we don't know yet, actually, because we uh, the full scale systems. What we're putting in there's an environmental monitoring program. At the same time, doing that from from the test site where we are, the, it's called Plokan, They are also going to look at you know do uh, measurements, etc. Uh, what we can see from the system we've done in the North Sea, it's not been a scientific study. It's just that we have uh, fish and uh, flora and we have biofouling for good or for worse, you know, on the system. And we've had both dolphins and seals, etc., around it. But that's, of course, not a scientific approach we've had so far. There have been other more scientific approaches on other wave energy devices, which have not shown any negative impact on flora fauna. But of course, as wave energy is not a mature market, there's no commercial installations yet, no large installations yet. So you cannot say 100% certainty say, oh, this will happen, this will not happen. We need to show, we need to still make scientific studies on these things and see what happens when we put more systems out there. Uh, our system, we don't have any sort of polluting materials, you can say, uh, so toxic materials in it. It is quite... Small, as you can say, footprint we have, we put in the, it's, it's a drag anchors, put them in and with our system. So that's why we're touching the, the seabed with them, with this. And then, uh, what we can see is that then growth happens on the system. Yeah. Then there will be some sound, but again, it's very limited sound and earlier scientific studies and others have not shown any negative effect from that, but the, that, that needs to be studied more, you can say.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question about uh, yeah. underwater noise yeah. and, and its impact on uh, yeah. on marine life as well. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that develops with the full-scale array. Yes, but
1: exactly. But of it, it, course, because I mean, that, that has to be also looked at larger ratio because for single devices, those those uh, analysis have been done and no, no negative impact has been seen on that one. So uh,
0: we need to see yeah, I was just thinking too, with a system like this, as it continues to mature when you're out there, I'm curious with the system that you have already had out on a smaller scale. Was there a timeline where you needed to go out and either remove debris or there was a buildup of barnacles or, or clams? or the, Was that a, a becoming an issue to the efficiency of the system? Yeah.
1: So, so the thing is, it depends on what type of biophile we have in the system. But what is the, what the challenge we have with this system we had in the North Sea is actually that we have got a lot of muscles on our buoys. The buoys are placed in each end. They're still ensuring the buoyancy, but also the tension in the whole system. I and mean, then when they start getting heavier suddenly, then the, of course the buoyancy is not there, so we had to scrape up muscles for that. So that's one thing that, that's part of the operation maintenance. You need to to clean for that. Yeah. And then of course what we're looking at is to looking at a material that where biofiling will not be as extreme as with some things. We we don't want to use too much uh, you know uh, paint, biofouling paint. So we're also looking into uh, to composites, glass fiber material. Which can be done to so be less biofouling of things, but but as for the efficiency, we've not seen anything that that but that is also remains to be seen in things because when we talk with people that have uh, experts in biofouling, it can change almost from one bay to another bay what type of biofouling we have of things. The, the the test we did in in, the, in Grand Canary last time here these three three months. We got quite a lot of biofilm, but not inside the system, but just you know on our filters. We have, we have some raw filters going in, and they they have to be clean. So they have to be easy to take off and on as a part of the operation. I mean Besides that, there was yeah a lot of growth, but not something that was disturbingly uh, negative
0: for us. Yeah. I guess it would de- depend on the the area that yeah, it's deployed. Exactly. In well. Exactly.
1: That's that's what we what we can see. Actually, or What we've been told also. Yeah. From from. Process, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been learning so much, and this has been fantastic. And for many of our listeners here in Canada, how can we maybe, myself being a, in a landlocked province, how can uh, a landlocked Canadian or anyone listening to this podcast uh, help support Wave Piston all the way in Denmark and, yeah. and wave energy generating systems? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. actually, there are uh, there's some Canadian colleagues of mine uh, that are also working with uh, the wave energy and desalination. Uh, so, of course, supporting uh, sort of the whole sector, you know, getting it up in um, what will be important for us and for the whole sector is to get, you know, the uh, the message out and then, and then the pressure on both the politicians' uh, decision makes on this because we need that also. So that's what we're doing that the whole time via our uh, membership organizations and stuff like that. So that's one thing. And then, of course, also in Canada... You get uh, some very nice tidal things, on, 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 uh, at least on the, on the East yes, Coast. Uh, yeah, there. Yeah, Bay of And then uh, on the West Coast, there uh, are very good uh, wave climbers there also, I think. So supporting these uh, initiatives in ocean energy as such, but also wave energy, of course. And then... Uh, talking with people and uh, getting out on, in the media like you're doing now, that it always helps because when, when politicians start hearing it, there's going to be pressure about all these things and also want to support this. Then we can get the, sort of this uh, section moving on faster than we are moving right now.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And my, my final question, how did you find yourself a part of this team? What led you to where you are currently as the CEO of WavePiston?
1: Yeah, that's uh, sort of a uh, you can say uh, the, the the usual uh, mid forty crisis. You can say, say I wanted to, I wanted to do, this, <laughs> I want to do something that really thought okay. This could be something that would make a big difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, I have a background. I actually been working in the in the financial industry with the large projects and different types of things with the capital markets, etc. And then I was just starting thinking, say, so, no, nope, I want to do something else. Use my my competences on something that I could see to make a large difference. And I like to build up things also, you know, I these things. So that was sort of the, the combination. And then I knew one of the inventors I've heard about their, their vision, what they've been doing. And they are not the best in getting, you know, all the other stuff around to get this to work. They want to focus on the technical <laughs> side of things. So I so, said, okay, let me take that one, you take the other one, and then uh, let's make a big difference together. So that was sort of like the driving
0: force with this. And then, yeah, we've been going on since now, almost, yeah, over eight years now, I've been part of this. Incredible, incredible. Thank you so much for spending the time to speak with me today. I'm hoping that all the listeners will have picked up something here and there and and we're going to get so excited about wave energy and we're going to be looking for wave energy options in Canada. And I'll be posting links to support Wave Piston, but also Canadian wave energy as well. So thank you so much for spending the time to speak with me today
1: thank you too it's been a pleasure and uh, yeah please follow us you know uh, both the whole sector and also wave piston Uh, we have a linkedin uh, page where we do updates you can always see nice pictures videos what is happening and then then we'll have to come to canada and uh, install some systems there as well
0: there we go (laughs) (laughs) perfect thank you very much thank you Thank you so much for listening to today's Deep Dive episode with Michael Hendrickson, the CEO of Wave Piston. And thanks so much to Michael for taking the time to speak with me. He's a great speaker and is clearly very passionate about this type of energy. And I think it holds so much promise for the future. And I'm so excited to see where it goes. I'll be sure to add some updates on where they're actually at with their process once this episode's released. Check out the show notes. They'll be updated for sure. But hey, want to keep updated yourself? Be sure to check them out at wavepiston.dk. That's their main website. You can also follow them on LinkedIn. They post regular updates on there as well. On their website, they have a lot more information and some really cool informational videos that really help break down the process and help you visualize the actual system we're talking about with these energy collector plates. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and I'd just like to thank the rest of the team, specifically Paula Pullman, Lee Burton, and the rest of the Aquatic Biosphere Board. Thanks for all of your help. And to learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing right here in Alberta telling the story of water, you can check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And we also have launched our new media company, ABN, Aquatic Biosphere Network, which you can find at Thepublicplace.online and search for the Aquatic Biosphere Network channel, where we will actually be posting all of the video episodes that we're going to be creating this year. So tune in, they won't be out for the next little while, but very excited to start sharing video content as well of our interviews. Next week, we will be releasing our deep dive episode with Dr. Steve Grasby from Geothermal Canada, where we learn all about the potential that we have in Canada to create geothermal energy and actually how we have so much potential, we're not using it yet. And why is that? Tune in, you won't want to miss it. If you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquaticbiosphere.org. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks, and it's been a splash.